is Your Working Life, a show that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach, and on today's show, I welcome Maureen Shike. Today, Maureen's going to talk about defining yourself on your own terms to find success and fulfillment. Thanks so much, Caroline. Let's get started. You talk a lot, Maureen, about trusting your own instincts and not somebody else's, especially when it comes to making decisions about your career and your personal life. Tell me more. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been really an interesting, very zigzag career. So my instincts have been very important in terms of determining what jobs I take, where I go next. And I think the first time I really understood that was when I was graduating from college and I was trying to get my first job. Now, I was a literature major, Uh obviously did not want to go back into academia. I I wanted to be in the work world, but I couldn't really find the kind of job that corresponded to what I could do. I knew one thing, though, and this was my instinct, was I knew I needed to go back to France. I had visited France several times, first when I was 16, then as a junior in college, and I had become completely in love with everything French. Mm-hmm. I just love the way they took in beauty. They appreciated it and enjoyed it. And ultimately, it was that first instinct that finally landed me my final job as the CEO of Chanel. And I love that you trusted those instincts. Was it a gut feeling? Tell me more about it. Was it intuitive? You know, it's, it's a really good question. I, I think it was something that I had to be close to from the day that I really realized how wonderfully... Um, instinctive, in fact, the French were, and how they honored beauty in a way that I really cared about. And so I like to think about, and this has happened at other times of my career. For example, I ended up moving from France after my first job at L'Oreal in Paris, back to the Gap, back to San Francisco. And there weren't any jobs in marketing. I had been in marketing at L'Oreal. And I ran across a poster of Miles Davis. So Miles Davis was obviously a great jazz musician, but someone who I learned a lot about in France when I was working in marketing and particularly with the art director of McCann Erickson, our agency. And I saw this picture. He had his head in his hands, beautiful expression. I thought, I want to go market the gap. Now it was that instinct, in fact, that led me to send my resume to the gap. So I like to think about it as staying close to something that you care deeply about beyond the labels, beyond expectations of other people, because I couldn't find a traditional marketing job. There weren't that many in San Francisco in the field that I loved, which was beauty. So it was just by kind of following that thing that I wanted to be close to, which in my case was beautiful imagery. Oh, that's a great story. So you and I are in agreement that women possess extraordinary traits that make them excellent leaders in business. But why is it that we're taught to believe otherwise? Why is the cultural shift so much different than that? You know, I like to think of it as legacy. If you, if you think about the way we look at leadership, it's through a very patriarchal frame. I mean, we've learned one way of thinking about leaders. And in a way, that's for good reason. Those, those leadership traits like being very ambitious, being uh, co- competitive, being focused, those things have worked for many leaders and they've helped grow a lot of businesses. It's not that we need to throw those away, but today's world, which has been disrupted by the internet, by millennials, by globalization, actually is asking us for more. And it's asking us to listen, to really sit on someone else's side of the table, be empathetic, be collaborative. So I think as we start to, as we continue, I should say, to see the shift in the world, we're going to note, and we're already seeing that these qualities are becoming more and more important. 
Okay, so what about men? What about the guys in the room? Can they learn from us, from the female colleagues and counterparts? Absolutely. I think we can learn from each other. Mm. But what I think is these qualities that many call feminine qualities, a lot of researchers and sociologists have coined empathy, flexibility, collaboration as feminine. I think men possess these qualities too, but in some ways they've been stuck in the same frame of having to perform one way or look one way. And so we can help bring out those qualities in men and women alike. Love it. You know, you wrote about this in the book. You wrote about a jagged career path, and it really should be the goal for almost everybody working today. So help define what is a jagged career path and why is it valuable? Well, it's interesting because I've mentored a lot of people and I've worked with a lot of people who might start in one career domain I don't know, say finance, but I can tell through my conversations, through my mentorship, through the questions that I'm asking them, that they really have a creative bent, that they really love imagery or they love products. And I've actually moved them into those areas and found that they're even more successful and happier. So the way I like to think about my jagged career, I mean, I started again as a lit major. I actually went to take the LSAT because I didn't know what I was going to be able to do after college. And I skipped out after the fifth question or sixth question, I think it was, because I really didn't want to be a lawyer. Ended up in marketing, but then from marketing, as I said, I was, you know, went to California and couldn't find a product management job in the kinds of things that I love, which was, you know, beauty and fashion. And so then ended up falling into the gap as a merchant, yet another career shift. So I like to think of it as really staying close to the things you care about a lot, but that experimentation and having an explorer's mind and continually asking yourself, what, what do I really want to be close to? You know, even if I'm in a job right now, what is it either that in that job that I love and I can develop myself in one way in? Or is there another thing that I see out there that I absolutely want to be doing? And I find that managers who give uh, their employees different, opp- different opportunities to change career paths, m- it makes a much richer a better organization overall. I love the passion in your voice. It's just palpable. So thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit more about introverts and extroverts. I believe, like it or not, that there is an inherent bias toward extroverts for leadership roles because they tend to be more gregarious. They think out loud and introverts often, now I'm broad brushing, but they often have a distaste for leadership roles. And I know that there are some extraordinarily introverted leaders that are exceptional. So Maureen, what's your take? Well, it's really funny. You know, there's a story in my book about this, but um, when I had a coach, um, when I was at the Gap, I did the um, I did the Myers Briggs test, right? And I scored on the absolute furthest end of introverts you can possibly get. Um, and I knew I was shy; I grew up shy. But what I learned is once I could actually, in some ways, manage the tough parts of being a, an introvert, which are the fact that you get exhausted yeah. when you're in big crowds. Once I could figure out how to resource myself. There, act, there ended up being a lot of advantages. As an introvert, I didn't always speak up. So what that meant is I was listening, picking up cues, sort of almost building narratives, and that when I did have something to say, it was relevant and meaningful because I wasn't always talking. So in so many ways, I feel that introverts, and, and by, by the way, I also know from the Myers-Briggs that many CEOs, many introverts are CEOs. Mm-hmm. It actually, you, ha- you, you develop keen observational skills and um you learn in so many ways 
to be relevant when you speak. So I think that introverts make great leaders. I couldn't agree more. And thank you for empowering the confidence in all the introverts listening. I think it's absolutely lovely to hear your story. So it's interesting to learn that your passion for all things French started during high school when you went to France to study for the summer. Yeah, I was 16 and um, my dad spoke really fluent French. He learned through a method in his high school without textbooks, meaning that it was all orally learned. And so he had a beautiful accent and I wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. Plus I had one of those great French teachers. You know, you have those great teachers in school that just inspire you. So I went the first time and I, I went for, to live with a family in the South of France because I wanted to be French. I wanted to learn to speak fluently. I wanted to actually become French. And I got very fortunate. Not only was the family wonderful, but it was the South of France. So I, my senses just burst open. I mean, it was the beautiful light on the limestone and, you know, the smell of lavender and the, my first taste of goat cheese, which had nothing to do with the, its American counterpart. It was, it was fantastically new for me to kind of open my mind to what, the, and then watch the way the French appreciated beauty. They slowed down, they took it in. And it was at that moment that I think I just fell in love. And, it, it, you know, it was something that never left me. And how did that lead you to Chanel? It's interesting because it did take a, quite a bit of zigzagging, to your point yeah. earlier. You know, I went to L'Oreal. Um, I, I skipped out on the LSAT. I knew no matter what, and I knew it was going to be a risk, I would go to France and I would get a job there. My parents basically said, look, we're not going to pay for you. So <laughs> if you're on your own. I ended up, because I was there for my junior year abroad, I had made a lot of friends, of which a great roommate who had a contact to get me my first internship. And that internship, which was in the north of France, and it was actually for L'Oreal, but started in the north of France selling cosmetic products to hypermarkets, which are like giant supermarkets. Yeah. That, was, that ended up being really, really critical for me because, one, I learned how to sell. I, I reinforced my French, no yeah. question. But really learned that selling isn't about selling. It's really about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and coming to an agreement about something that you both want to get accomplished. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, that ended up being kind of the first step. And I think that then going back to the West Coast, again, zigzagging, when my husband and I decided that we were going to move elsewhere, both of those things helped me get my job at, at Chanel. One, I spoke French. I knew the culture. But I also had then 15 years as a retailer at one of the best retail companies in the world at the time, The Gap, and new and, and really new boutiques, new clothing. So that the, both of, it was sort of the combination of all that that led to that uh, Chanel job. Wow. So you must have had so many challenging and rewarding experiences. What are the lessons that you learned from L'Oreal or Gap or even Banana Republic and, of course, Chanel? Maybe you can pick one challenging and one rewarding lesson and, and share those stories. An early one for me was when I was first working at The Gap and I was working with Mickey Drexler, who was the CEO. He was not my boss, by the way, but he was, of course, the CEO at the time of the organization. I was in denim and I was trying to show him this new wash, new denim wash in a new fit that I really wanted him to love. And I went in there, guns a blazing, <laughs> just, you know, trying to sell this thing to him, basically. And he kept saying to me, but I don't understand if it's a new wash. Why wouldn't you put it in the classic fit gene, the gene that we'd been running forever? And I had a thousand arguments for what I thought was right. And I kept talking over him. And finally, he said to me, wait a minute, time out. You are not listening. You're not listening. 
And he got quite angry. And I went back to my office and I thought, oh my gosh, I was pregnant, by the way. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be fired now. He was so angry with me. And he called me and said, listen, you're a darn good merchant, but you need to learn to listen. Not just to me and not because I'm the boss. He said, you need to learn to listen to the world around you, to your customers, to your colleagues. And that completely changed my notions of leadership right then and there. You know, one of the uh, other early stories at The Gap, uh, and you know, a, you said a positive one, was when I landed my first job, which was in socks and belts. So I was merchandiser of socks and belts. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what am I going to do in, f- in a fashion way for those two categories? Mm-hmm. But it turns out the belts at the time were becoming very popular. Denim was one of the hottest categories, so people needed belts to wear with their jeans. Um, I had seen a lot of wide, uh, wide belts on um, different, different customers. And so Gap had a belt business, but it was quite small. And I decided it was going to be my mission to build the belt business, to upgrade the quality of the leather, and, to, and, just, and even and increase our prices. And it took a kind of a leap of faith for my bosses to, to agree to allow me to do this. But it turned out I built a very large business and in a way made my mark. And I think that you know, for me, the lesson there was no opportunity is too small to make your mark. Oh, I love that. You know, all this retail experience over the course of your career has been transformative. But tell me, did you learn something from the consumer, the customer, and the business that impacted you and your leadership philosophy? Yeah, I think I learned. First of all, I learned every day from customers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and one of the things, and it was, you know, all the time, whether it was at Gap, Old Navy, Banana Republic, or Chanel, was that I like to actually put myself in the shoes of the customer. And so what I learned is when I would go into a store or a boutique or a co- at a cosmetic counter, I, first of all, I'd love to go in as far as I could incognito, so places where people didn't know me or recognize me, and just play that customer, be in their shoes, see what they see, see from their eyes, see from their perspective. Because ultimately, in, you know, in retail, in any kind of sales job, you, you, you're serving a customer. And so I think every single day I would learn just by actually being that customer, being that customer. Maureen, thank you so much for joining me on the show. You are the extraordinary author of Beyond the Label, Women, Leadership, and Success on Our Own Terms. And I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise with us today. Oh, thank you. Well, this has been so much fun. Now, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review. Let us know what career-related questions you have to address and we'll think about them for a future show. You can tweet me at C. Dowd Higgins or send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Take good care.